Hitchcock's Evening. Tonight on Alfred Hitchcock Presents, our story focuses on a night of terrifying suspense and horror. In an episode entitled, Election 2020, The Red Mirage. A story so blood-curdling that I'm going to stick my head in this guillotine to help me calm my jittering nerves. Episode 7 of the Gray Matter Radio Hour. I'm your not-so-humble host, Mr. E, and with this Tuesday's presidential election nearly upon us, my co-host on the other coast, Mr. Mansley, and I decided we would ask Chris Hopkins to come back on to fill in a few more details regarding his movie experience and to talk a little more with us about the political situation here in the U.S. and to discuss our thoughts, apprehensions, and hopefully unearth a few more insights before the fireworks begin. We did experience a few technical difficulties during the interview, so here now we'll just jump right in. We were talking about the um, the people who were at UCLA when we were there, and we mentioned Alex Cox, Chris. Oh yeah. And then, and then I saw that when you posted um, the last episode on your page, Michael Miner clicked on it. Oh yeah, I'm still in so touch with Mike too. So yeah. Yeah, I'm still in touch with him. He's he. He's a really interesting guy, and I, um, I occasionally so, see him. Okay. So Michael Miner um, created RoboCop. He wrote the script and basically created that whole concept. Yeah, he co-wrote it with Ed Newmeyer. So it was like a okay, you know, yeah. writing partner situation. And, and okay. he did well from that uh, series, like, you know, he's – because there's been so many remakes. And he's always involved right, right. with the remakes, like – in, in one capacity or another, just kind of to, you know, kind of to be consulted with at least. And so, but that, that was a fun uh, movie. I, I got to meet Paul Verhoeven uh, when it was being shot because I was working on that Jeff Obra movie at the same studio, uh, Culver Studios, where RoboCop had an office. So Mike Miner took me in there and, and yeah, Paul Verhoeven wasn't very friendly. He's, you know, he's the real serious guy, you know, with a million things on his mind, but I, at least I got to meet him. I was at a Terry Longo's birthday party in her backyard and uh, she worked on Total Recall. Oh, cool. As an editor person I think and I sat next to Paul Verhoeven for a while but we didn't talk but <laughs> I should have yeah, talked I, to him because we're sitting on a lawn watching people play volleyball <laughs> you know you let the egg <laughs> he had too much on really his mind. well yeah he, he some, <laughs> yeah I, I, he made some great movies Paul Verhoeven right if there was ever a casual setting where I should have said something that was that yeah, yeah. My most awkward best celebrity story is uh, I worked on Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes and uh and they had a cast and crew screening at the Academy Theater on Wilshire. And I really got, by the time the movie ended, I really had to take a pee. So like as, as the credits started to roll, like I ran out to the bathroom and there was like this little bathroom with just two urinals. And in the urinal next to me was Charlton Heston. Celebrity encounter. He was in, you know, I think he had a cameo in the oh. film and he was invited to the screening. And I'm thinking like, what do you say to, Charlton Heston when you're taking a pee right next to him. And I couldn't think of anything. I just thought, this is cool enough, just, you know, like, this legendary right. actor. All that like, comes to mind is, damn you! I, damn you yeah. all the hell! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, I'm peeing. <laughs> 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. Get your hands off Why me, would you? dirty apes. <laughs> I like analyzing him because in every movie he does, he has certain moves and stuff, so. But yeah, he was the head of I started of the writing down his different techniques. His yeah, you remember he, he appeared in Roger and Me. It was kind of a very awkward part of the movie where uh, uh, Michael Moore confronts uh, right. Charlton yeah, Heston yeah. at his compound. Yeah. Right, right. And he's like, he's like, General Sterling is on the phone for you. And he's like, General Sterling, I'll yeah. and make Michael Moore wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that sounded like Simon Barr's sister. Yeah. Now take this call and make Michael Moore wait. Yeah. It's from General Sterling. <laughs> Bailey, George Bailey, and that's based on Lionel Barrymore from It's a Wonderful Life. Um, I was going to ask you last time, I was paraphrasing what you had told me, but um, I thought it was interesting when you uh, were telling me about uh, the new working conditions on set for movies and TV. So can you tell us, um, yeah. you're starting a job tomorrow, you don't have to tell us what it is, but tell us about the new COVID rules for working as a scenic set sculptor in Hollywood. Yeah, well, basically, the, you know, they, I've had to take a little online course and take a test. And then they had some, uh, like, in-person training and, and, you know, learn how to use your PPE, your personal protective equipment. So they basically divide the work up into three types of zones. And uh, the, the, it's the green zone, uh, yellow zone, and red zone. So a green zone is an area where you're allowed to um, take off your mask and socially distance with people. And it's usually like when you're taking a break or when you're eating and it's, it is, it is more or less like outside where there's a breeze and, you know, there's maybe like a tent covering so you don't get sunburned. And then the, the, uh, the yellow zone is where I would typically work for like on a, on the construction crew. And we would just have, um, we would only have a maximum of four people in our pod and it's all cordoned off with yellow tape. So, and, and we actually wear vests. So uh, when I start my job tomorrow, I'll be wearing a red vest. So I'm on like the red team. So if, if, if there's another, like there's some more sculptors that are on the yellow team and they work in a different cordoned off area. So if, um, if one of those other uh, pods you know, if I need to talk to them, I can either talk to them on the phone or if they come over, they'll have to wear a face mask and a mask uh, or face shield, I should say. And uh, but then like the red zone is where you were right in your previous explanation. Uh, like the red zone would be like when they're, you're shooting a movie and like you have like the makeup person has to be right next to the actor putting on their makeup then the makeup person's gonna have to wear a face shield and also like kind of protective apron or gown, like an outer garment. And, uh, and then like when they're shooting the movie also, like if you have like the dolly grip and the camera operator and the focus puller all like in close proximity, they're the gonna guy. all have to- The boom yeah, the guy. Boom, yeah, so yeah. they all wear face shields. And, and they, as far as I know, they have to be tested at least twice a week you know, for COVID. And then I only get tested once a week, but then with the, the whole zone, uh, you know, the pod system is like, so if it, like I was talking to someone that's been working in, uh, um, in Georgia. And so they had the sculptors all working in pods of three or four people. And one of the sculptors, uh, tested positive for coronavirus. Oh. And, uh, but fortunately, uh, he didn't, he never got any symptoms. So he thinks it might've been like a false positive, but, but nonetheless, like both him and his fellow pod members all had to quarantine for, for 14 days. So they, they couldn't go to work for 14 days. They just all stayed at home and, uh, and, and, and you get paid the, like, you, I think you get paid for an eight hour day if you stay at home for, for up to two weeks which is a pretty good deal. Yeah. And, uh, but that, I mean, that way, if, uh, like if someone does come down with coronavirus, it's, it's not so, uh, easy for it to spread to the other crew members. Cause oh, whoa, 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 whoa. In, in that case, I'm going to get sick. <laughs> yeah. Take a break. 
Take yeah, a two-week break and get paid. Yeah, get some that's free good, money. That's a good deal. Yeah, just... Uh, hey, hey, get sick, everybody. Yeah, yeah just bribe the, uh, the person t doing your test. Say, hey, make sure this one turns that pos net positive. So that, there's a little something in it for you. <laughs> yeah. Your, your color-coded work zones remind me of the levels in the underground lab in Andromeda Strain that were color-coded. Oh, yeah. And I think red was the bottom level. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that you know that's a great movie. I I haven't seen it for decades, but I, I it's on my list to rewatch because when when I saw it in seventy millimeter as a, as a teenager, it just blew my mind. And uh, it is it, great. It, um, it's on my mind constantly these days. Yeah, I'm like, I, yeah. like I, someone saw that movie and thought, I've got a great idea for a pandemic. Yeah, I used to sort of know Robert Wise a little bit. Oh, that's cool. And he directed that one. He directed Dave Yersted Still, which is Oh, I forgot favorites. that he directed that, because I know Michael yeah. Crichton wrote it, I guess. He's most famous for co-directing West Side Story and directing Sound of Music. But oh, yeah, them. yeah. Um, but, yeah, um, he, he was a great I, director. I finally bought Andromeda Strain on DVD, nice. and I was going to show it to my girlfriend. And then, like a couple months later, this happened. And so, yeah. <laughs> now it's too scary. <laughs> like I can't. It's like ah, it's gonna be too much if I show it to her now. <laughs> yeah, the thing that made a big impression on me as a kid was like the way people's blood would turn to powder. That was just really right. horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing was how like the the guy the pilot's rubber mask kind of deteriorated. And right, right, yeah. That that was like just it really like um, yeah was had a profound effect on me for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, when they, they cut the arm on that guy and it's sand, sand, the red sand just pours. Yeah, out. right. Yeah. yeah, it's horrific. The way people, the way people were frozen. Yeah, you know, there was the guy yeah. with his head in the sink or whatever, and they cut to like under under the water with his eyes open, and he's like frozen oh. there. Yeah, and then the uh, other thing that was really compelling was there. There's like a close-up photograph of like some shield part of the satellite or spacecraft or whatever it is and there's this tiny little grain of little like you know that that's actually has the disease on it do you remember that or yeah microscopic yeah. close-up or something yeah yeah like a microscopic close-up showing this little particle that probably has the the virus or disease or whatever it is yeah the little green dot mm -hmm. yeah if you've if you've seen autopsies on covid lungs they're full of clotted tiny minuscule blood blood clots and basically what was happening in that movie is the blood was clotting it was crystallizing you know and yeah oh my god and so it's it, so similar in a way i was like somebody must have saw, seen that and went to work at a lab in wuhan and said guess what i came up yeah. with <laughs> i hope it wasn't man created that would be terrible see we, do we want to talk about the um election one last time before it happens before it happens yeah. well yeah it is i mean it is pretty frightening when you think of all the scenarios where trump could hold on to power yeah like totally undemocratically and uh, i mean right. they, they've been they've been thinking about that for the last four years you know how do we hold on to power and then of course trump has the extra motivation of knowing you know knowing that if he if he does lose and and becomes a civilian again, he's going to have all sorts of legal issues and criminal prosecutions. Right, right, right. right. So he, he, he's going to do anything he can to stay in power. Exactly. It's, his freedom is on the line. Yeah. Either that or get out of the country or whatever. But um, um, right. I'm guessing his last act would be to pardon himself, but that only works for federal crimes, they're not for state yeah. crimes. So in New York State, there's a bunch of lawsuits. Um, waiting for him. I think if he gets four more power. years, he's going to go busily to work jailing the people that might prosecute him. <laughs> if he does get out, you know, does lose. Oh, yeah, there's, I don't think there's any stopping him. That's why I had to vote for Biden, because <laughs> if he gets four more years, he almost, he tried to cancel this election because of COVID. Yeah. So, you know, he already put that out there that he was thinking about trying to cancel the election. So uh, all these deaths work in his favor if he stays in power, you know. <clears throat> yeah, and, and, and it, I don't know if you... It'll make it easy for him to cancel it four years from now. I don't know if we're going to have another election if he gets in.
So, yeah, because yeah. have you either of you guys uh, looked into the QAnon conspiracy theory? Because that stuff is is you know it's really like way out there and ridiculous, but it's also like frightening because I I mean I've just done a little research on it, but a lot of it involves like you know people like us just being rounded up and taken to death camps and and it's you know it's, it's and when you look at all the right wing militias, those that are like you know populating. Uh, various parts of the country, they're basically like future death squads. And, uh, you know, one person described it pretty succinctly. It's like, you know, for, for several decades, the U.S. foreign policy has often involved like death squads in these third world countries, you know, when there's a, you know, when like there's a democratic government that tries to take over, the U.S. goes in there and props up a dictator and part of the process is to have death squads and and you know just killing off like you know in some cases like tens of thousands of people you know or at least hundreds or thousands of them and uh like in you know countries like chile or guatemala el salvador but now Um, that but now they're actually you know that could actually happen in the u.s i mean and these right wingers have had decades of practice doing it in other countries and they now they're they're having this all the same rhetoric like you know calling their opponents I, socialists and communists and i just rewatched. i shared with you guys this um van jones ted talk oh yeah done from his home and i have it up now it's called what if a u.s presidential candidate refuses to concede after an election with van jones and it's a ted talk done from home and uh, he mentions that <laughs> that, uh, that, that that Trump could have a private militia. Um, oh yeah, I mean he already has the private <laughs> in one militia. of the scenarios. Yeah, it's okay. This is really hard to talk about. This is why I, I shared that yeah. with you guys because maybe the three of us together can try to articulate some of it's all like these a, scenarios. It's like a private coup. I mean, it's in a way. Yeah, and actually, he, one thing he mentioned was that... Um, well, if the, if the election is close, Van Jones, he says, uh, he used the word savage. He expects Trump to, to launch a savage barrage of lawsuits all over the country to uh, stop the counting of the votes and all that sort of stuff as fast as possible. And actually, he so mentioned the, also that like, even when Trump won in 2016, Trump went on and on about this election was rigged and you know, like, even when he won, he, he was complaining about the election right. being rigged. Even that wasn't good enough for him. Yeah. Because <laughs> he wants to be like, I won the popular vote too. I'm sure of it. I'm sure I did. <laughs> I yeah, and his inauguration was bigger than Obama's. And then you look at the picture and you say, what the hell? It's like, you know, just a fraction of the people that were right. there for Obama. And, th- and that's when, like, to me, that's when like half the country realizes this guy like is a total con man. He's totally full of shit. And then the other half of the country, you know, for some inexplicable reason, thinks that this guy is like a genius businessman who's like going to make America great again. And, and it, it's just it just kind of blows my mind how anyone could actually not see through like all the BS and, and they literally, like Trump supporters literally have a flag that they sometimes fly that says Trump 2020 and the bullshit or, you know, no more bullshit. And it's like Trump is like bullshit in person, uh, you know, it, you know, incarnate, like, he's, incarnate. A, he's, <laughs> yeah, a steam, he's, he's a steaming coil. And how, how someone could have like not sense the irony of, you know, stating that end the bullshit. When you know when you have this guy who just has over twenty thousand documented lies in his four years of presidency, you know that's like several lies a day, sometimes several lies within one sentence. Well, and, I just uh, spoke with my sister. I was just speaking with her, and she said that she, it's like she's amazed that two people can look at the exact same thing, and it's like we're in two alternate worlds. Yeah, that we're each person sees the exact opposite of what the other person is seeing. So it's like we were talking before about it. Your personality type determines if you're going to be a right winger or a left winger. So it's like a, you move into your own dimension. I, I don't think I told you guys. Your own dimension of perception. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, you know, the, in the LA Times several years ago, there was this article that um, blew my mind because it was an article about a social scientist that had done an experiment. And what he did is he, he went to a small town in the US and he got about 35 people who identified as liberal and another 35 that identified as conservative. And he took them one at a time and sat them down in front of a computer. And, and then he wired, he wired them up with like um, sensors that, that, that similar to like a lie detector test. And one of the sensors measures like microscopic particles of sweat. So like when a human like feels fear, like when you experience fear, your body generates these microscopic droplets of sweat. Right. It's, and what, it's part of the lie detector test. It's the yeah. And galvanic, what this guy did, gal galvanic skin response. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Galvanic skin response. And what he did is he he showed each person like they, the same like uh, series of images, and they were just like random generic images, but mixed up, mixed in with the random uh, images were like really frightening images. Like one they said was like a woman kind of screaming with a giant tarantula on her face, or there'd be one like a, like a really horrific image. And what was really fascinating, almost all the people that identified as you know, like progressive or liberal, when they saw the scary image, there was very little change in their galvanic skin response. But like every conservative person, when they saw that scary image, they would like manifest fear, like the, you know, the needle would peg and he came up, this social scientist came up with this theory that's really fascinating. He said that for like tens of thousands of years, there's been these two groups of humans like living side by side. And what, you know, you could have a brother and a sister or two brothers and one could be, they have a genetic propensity or uh, to, to be like more liberal. And the other one is, you know, just for, they're wired different, their brain is wired differently. So they sense fear. And they said, the guy said, society can't really exist without both groups. Cause like the fearful people, they're the ones that like make, they're, they're really fearful about being poor. So they like, they start a business and they want to get rich and they hire people and they, and they're the ones that gravitate towards religion because they, they're really scared about like the answers to big questions, but religion gives them some easy answers to like the big questions. And then the people like us that are more like the humanitarian, open-minded ones, we're the ones that like, uh, we'll like, uh, you know, in, like in prehistoric times, we're the ones that would walk, oh, you know, we, we'd climb over the hill to go meet with the other tribe and share stories. And, and, uh, and, but, the, but the fearful ones, they'd be the ones that would be putting together weapons to either attack the other tribe or defend themselves from them. And so what happens is like you, you go to any place in the world and you'll find like that the this urban areas like have more liberal people living there because they're people that you know don't mind living around other people and and interacting but the, the fearful people tend to be out in the rural areas oh where they oh my can... god that so explains so much yeah this, this yeah that's why this article it blew my mind and it because yeah because you go to like austria or or asia and you get in the rural areas you kind of have these like kind of closed-minded people that you know they'll have like a fence around their property and they'll have guns and or you know they'll like be kind of to themselves and more conservative and and it's just but it's actually i think they're um the scary part of this is you know when they finally figure out what part of the brain determines this you know like a right-wing government could start like just you know, aborting babies that, you know, or like if you're, if you're born to be a liberal, they might just like, uh, you know, like, you know, throwing you, throw you in a ditch or something. Oh, cancel but, culture. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but the fascinating thing is the guy said that society, you know, society actually needs both groups. But what happens is if, when that right wing group, you know, tries to take over, like whether it's in Nazi Germany or what we're, experiencing now is just you know throws society out of balance because you need like the uh like people like us you need the artists and the free thinkers and the scientists you know to for society to uh to uh to flourish so you, you need a, like a like everything in nature you need to have a balance so right. like both sides need to keep the other side in check 
And, but the fearful side, you know, they just, they always gravitate towards, uh, and the other interesting thing he said was like, and I've noticed this with my Republican relatives, like the fearful side, they'll like want to eat at McDonald's or Denny's, you know, they want to eat at some establishment they've seen advertised on TV that, you know, but if you tell them, oh, there's this great little Burmese restaurant, they go, oh, I don't want to go there. Or, you know, it's like, <laughs> right. Burmese Thai, I don't know what that is. It's, they might, I might get poisoning or, you know, it's like that might be dirty. And uh, One of the things I like about being in LA is you get to hear different languages and different cultures and you get to experience different, you know, basically different cultures, you know, and, and, and if I'd stayed where I grew up, um, uh, it would just be white people everywhere, you know, speaking yeah. uh, half-assed English, you know. In, in L.A., if you don't speak Spanish, you get to use handicapped parking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tonight on Ancient Republican. This ancient prehistoric axe was made by an ancient Republican. Yeah. And we now know that Stonehenge was actually a peace sign from above. Yeah. Yeah. made by ancient liberals <laughs> yeah and you even like you know you can even like take it to like just movie tropes you know like in star wars you have like you know the dark side and the and uh and then the then the rebels or the uh the resistance yeah and it's and it's just it just when you when you hear that theory of the that social scientist it just really makes everything make sense and yeah. it also makes you realize that, you know, you kind of have to work with these people. You, you, you can't just you know, have a war and everybody, you know, tries to kill each other. You got to like, I, I think the best thing would be like if everybody learned about that and then that, um, you, that you have to try to work with the other side and have a balance. That's but, a good but, thought, Chris. Yeah. yeah. And it, it always made me wonder because my dad was like a really liberal guy. And he, he even called himself an armchair socialist. And what was ironic was he, he, was, he called himself a trust fund bun, bum because he, he actually had a small trust fund that was just enough you know, money to raise our family. And he, my dad never worked. But then his brother, you know, that grew up in the same family, he was like always a Republican and he was kind of racist and right wing. And, and they were just like almost like opposites. So it shows you that this, you know, like it's not like as if one family turns out liberal and the other conservative. It's right. it's like all with it's between individuals. Yeah, Cause, cause you were we saying all, it. You were saying it's genetic. Genetic. Yeah, it's a genetic propensity to be either one way or the other. And then, like everything else in nature, it's not black and white. It's like you know, like a million shades of gray. So that's why you can have people that are kind of like a little bit of both because when you think about it we all have like really complex genes we all have like thousands of ancestors and so like you know a brother and sister or two brothers can be so different from each other even though you have the same parents that's my family in a nutshell i've got a one sister out here who's uh, you know on my side of the fence and then i've got three more siblings in the south and we thought they were pretty much on our side, but the longer they stay there, the more this Trump mindset kind of ingrains itself. If you've ever watched people in the South watching Fox News, it looks a lot like when you feed goldfish and they come up to the side of the tank and they're all just like staring at you and they're all just wagging their back fins, just all excited and they just can't wait for that food to come and fill the void. That's how they look at the screen when they're watching Fox News. They're feeding on it. And you, yeah. they can't take their eyes off of Fox News. And believe me, they watch it 24-7. It's on all the time. That's the only thing they watch. And it's no wonder it brainwashes them. I mean, it, you got to feel sorry for them. You know, they're definitely victimized. Yeah, and, and it, you wonder, you know, how much of the Fox News machine is doing this consciously or they're just doing it unconsciously because i mean there are you can assume like anybody that works at fox news is already going to be of this kind of like you know right wing wiring of their brain but then i think there's also some really clever republicans that like they basically figure out the science you know they they even you know study like nazi propaganda and they, they figure out the science of like brainwashing everybody and you know a lot of it's just repeating lies and one thing that was really struck me was uh, 
I was working in Air, Albuquerque, uh, New Mexico, like I think it was Avengers, you know, and I was there for like several months in about 2012. And uh, I went into a bookstore, it might have even been a Barnes and Noble on, on the weekend. I couldn't believe there were all these books like anti-Obama books. And like, you know, and it was just like <laughs> so many wow. of them. And they were all like, you know, just like, you know, like, you know, 10 copies of each book. And I'm thinking like, who is buying this and who is, and I, and I realized, you know, this is like a, a, this is like an orchestrated effort to discredit Obama. Right. And it's, and what it is, it's these wealthy oligarchs that just want to, you know, have total right wing policy so they can like, just be, you know, kleptocrats and, you know, just be stealing government money and be in complete control of the government. They, they just wanted to like, just totally discredit Obama. And, and, you know, they figured, and I think a lot of them, what they do is they, you know, they hire these authors to write these books. And then what I read, I read somewhere that they actually, they, they spend money to buy, you know, so these books get on like bestseller lists, they'll go in and like buy a thousand copies of these books, <clears throat> just, just so like the book, like these books have good sales and get like noticed and reviewed. And it was just like, you know, orchestrated propaganda to, to try to create the world that we're now living in where, you know, like 40% like of people think Obama was like the worst president in history. And I and have a neighbor stuff, that said that, you know, just like it the blew stuff my mind. That they complain, see, I mean, we have legitimate complaints with Obama, like he dropped a lot of bombs. Yeah, but the stuff that they complain about Obama is not the same stuff that we would. Complain I know, about yeah. Obama. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, totally yeah. different stuff. They see that. They see that. As we would, a, we complain about he wasn't progressive enough or right, or right. at all, you know. And uh, <laughs> they're complaining about the, some other stuff that's completely opposite. Yeah, we complain about the bombs and they cheer them. They're like, "That's the, right, the good right. stuff he did." That was the yeah. good stuff. Right. I shared another video with you guys. <clears throat> called will american elections ever be ever again be legitimate yeah is oh, that the tom hartman, tom hartman? yeah oh yeah, yeah tom hartman so he talks about <clears throat> what we can expect at election night um the red mirage yeah which is i guess it's it's the people who show up to the polls on election day get counted first and that's what's right and that's what we're going to see first and it's going to yeah. look like trump won on election night and then he talks about the blue shift, which is as more mail-in ballots get counted. You'd think they would have started that in some places, hopefully some states. Some states are not counting mail-in until election night. So, yeah, and, and um, actually so he said- So it starts with a, the red mirage, and which is gonna look like Trump won. So he's gonna declare victory, you know, probably, uh, knowing him. <laughs> and say stop counting the mail-in votes but the more mail-in votes get counted then there'd be a blue shift yeah and one interesting thing he said that the red mirage is part is is partially because what i was saying because when you have a lot of rural people a lot of republicans in the rural less populated areas their votes get counted quicker because there might only be right. like you know a few hundred people in like a rural right, right. county but yeah, in yeah. an urban uh, county where there's like millions of people it's going to take longer to vote or count their votes so it's uh yeah their votes will come in later and, and cause the blue shift so, so if, the, uh, if he cuts it off early he's cutting off all the the larger yeah. uh areas you know well he's, we know he's going to cut it off try to cut it off early yeah <laughs> it's in his character he's the snake uh, I was um, trying to rewatch this Samantha B episode that was from last week. That is uh, October 21st episode. The last segment of it is another thing that's all about all these contingency plans that Trump has. You know, I think when he takes his golf trips, he's not really just golfing. I think it, he uses that time to meet with people, you know, in person that he doesn't want to have seen in the White House, maybe. Right, in some place like, he won't you know, be bugged. Yeah, he's been planning how to steal this election for four years, is what I suspect. So, um, yeah, and who yeah. knows what plans he's made with Putin? Like all these off the right. record uh, meetings with Putin. I mean, uh, the, I'm sure there's stuff going on right now. I mean, that's that's 
who knows well if, if we'll ever find out about what what they've done the right wingers have taken that taken all that uh russian this and russia that stuff and they've they've made it into a, like a boogeyman so i like there's plenty to worry about without without involving putin in my opinion and it just whenever you bring up russia it seems like since we haven't really proved anything that i know of that that can stick they just look at it like a boogeyman like the you know the boy who cried wolf and they're like see they're just they they're so scared of trump they keep making up this russia stuff you know and i'm like it yeah the only reason it didn't stick is because the, the republican senate but otherwise it would have stuck <laughs> yeah i think there's plenty they saved of him, so yeah yeah, there's plenty of evidence linking Trump to Russia, like all the way back to the 1980s, you know, when when he started laundering money for the Russian oligarchs. And and uh, so it's uh, it's an ongoing thing. And, you know, he was going to build his uh, Trump Tower in Moscow and, and Putin was going to have the top floor, <clears throat> which was a real coup for Trump, because, you know, if Putin lived on the top floor, that makes the building more desirable for a lot of these wealthy oligarchs and right and, uh, you know hoping to run into putin in this in the in the lobby or something my my wife uh who figures out the plot of every movie in the first 10 seconds um you know she'll say the butler did it and he's not there's not even a butler in the movie yet you know yeah. she's she's so good at it the first thing she said was that she said just watch it's a it's a there's going to be there's some uh real estate deal. he's making real estate deals in russia and in israel she said just watch and sure enough in both cases that's been the at least one of the ties you know that, that wanting to put hotels in israel and hotels in in russia and it's like you know again it seems like she hit the nail on the head you know yeah and, and you've probably heard that you know he, he had a big project going in turkey and that's why Erdogan, like, you know, uh, just totally has Trump by the balls and why, like, Trump decided to, uh, you know, go against our longtime allies, the Kurds, just to please Erdogan. And, and there's even a, um, a lot of suggestion that um, Erdogan has uh, evidence that the, uh, you know, the prince uh, of Saudi Arabia was in on the murder of Khashoggi and, and, and that uh, there's a lot of suggestion that, um, Oh, uh, Kushner was uh, like kind of gave uh, the he the the head of Saudi Arabia the go ahead to murder Khashoggi and and that and and uh, Erdogan has that on tape, so that's why like you know Trump does anything Erdogan wants, and so I mean yeah he, the, Trump is the most compromised president in American history, and 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 the the one thing I hold hope out for is that. You know, there's people in the intelligence field, in U.S. intelligence and in the military, that like know that Trump is just a disaster as a president, and like I just always hope that maybe they'll they'll be the ones that take down Trump, because uh, I mean, if they would be doing us all a service if they did, right? I mean, the didn't, guy the guy is just a like total danger for this country. Didn't he host on um, so many levels? He hosted a Miss Universe pageant or something in Moscow. Something. Oh like yeah, that. yeah, that's a whole story. So we story know we too. know he's compromised. Yeah, <laughs> that Putin would have figured out a way to compromise him. You know. Yeah, and the, and the Russians have this term for for a person like Trump. It's it's a useful idiot, and that, right. that's how they, they that's how they see him like a useful idiot. <laughs> you know, like we we can use this guy to our advantage. He's, and, he's and they know that he's useful only to them. Unfortunately, yeah, and, and and they know as well as people like us that Trump is like just in the process of destroying the U.S. I mean, he's dividing the country. He, you know, he has the deaths of over two hundred thousand U.S. citizens on his hands because he did. I mean, he did the world's worst response to the coronavirus was you know Trump. I mean, it's like you can't pin the blame on anybody else. You know, like his scientists like Fauci were trying, but Trump is just like projected the exact wrong information to to the country and uh, and they you know it's like a, a thousand people a day are dying of coronavirus in the u.s while there's other countries in the world that you know haven't had a death for several months and it's just uh and i mean just for that reason alone that trump should just be removed from office like you know 
who needs an election? There should be some kind of a, like a, you know, process where he can just be, you know, he's like a criminal in charge of the country. And, uh, and we just have to rely on this very shaky election system, you know, with the electoral college and the voter disenfranchisement. And it's, it's really frightening to think that Trump could be, uh, could, could somehow get, you know, end up in office for another four years. And, uh, it's just, uh, we'll, we'll have to, oh, you know, one, one thing I wanted to say uh, was, uh, sorry to talk so long, but, um, no. I, was, I was talking with my wife about the subject of our, uh, conversation today. And she was saying like, you know, if Trump does manage to hold onto the office, one thing we could all do is a general strike, like, and, you know, have, have to be like a peaceful general strike. And, but if, if people just refuse to, um, you know, go on with their ordinary activities that, you know, it's just like everybody just says, you know, we're not, we're not going to do anything till Trump leaves office, just like the whole country shuts down. And uh, we all catch up would... on our reading. Yeah. Finally <laughs> catch up on our reading. We, yeah. We've sort of already <laughs> been doing this as far as shutting down. I don't know how much longer we can do that. I know. Well, yeah, there's all sorts of things you have to think about, but like a, a general strike can be really effective in certain situations. Like, you know, if even if it's just one economic sector that says, you know, we're we're going to shut down, you know, in solidarity with, uh, you know, the people, all the people in the U.S. who feels the feel the election was stolen. You know, we're going to stop doing this and, you know, until Trump leaves office. And uh, hmm. so, I mean, it would be, uh, you know, maybe something that had never happened before, but it's... Well, you know, it's something we have to start thinking about, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think the rules are ever... Uh, the the, 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 the uh, originators never pictured that there was going to be this... Um, such a madman. Yeah, and, the, the, and one frightening thing is the, you know, the Democrats... Get so far. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Democrats... Such a con man would get so far. Yeah, and, and one of the problems is, is the, you know, the Democrats are not a very strong opposition party. You know, like right. if they had more spine, they would like just, you know, totally, you know, lead people, like inspire people to um, go on general strike or do whatever they have to. But I think in this right, situation... Right. Like there's, they have such a reputation for folding, you know, like when the election was stolen from the Democrats in 2000, Gore just, yeah. you know, made his concession speech and didn't put up a yeah. fuss. So right. it's going to be up to people like us and using social media to, uh, to you know, just to kind of uh, do some kind of a peaceful mass protest. And, and, the, and the dangerous thing is like, you know, the dangerous thing about protesting is that all it takes is one Asian provocateur to, uh, you know, to, to do something violent or destructive. And then the, you know, then it kind of like tarnishes the whole movement and the police come in and start beating people. And so right. that's like what, umbrella man. Yeah. Mr. E yeah. talked about him quite a bit. Yeah. Wasn't it Van Jones that was saying the, the more violent a protest becomes the smaller of amount of group people are involved in the protest because the other ones kind of peel off they're like well yeah. i don't want to be involved in that so you end up with a smaller and smaller contingency of protesters until the police can just come in and, and take them out you know so yeah so as long as you keep it peaceful and widespread it works better yeah it's self-defeating when yeah yeah if you start to become violent and uh, I mean, it's kind but, of what you're uh, saying i think general widespread protest rather than focusing uh, down and becoming like the tip of a spear, you know? Yeah, and one thing kind of a little bit unrelated, but uh, yeah, you mentioned Umbrella Man, but one, one thing that really blew my mind is, uh, you know, when we had all these uh, protests, um, you know, a few months ago over George Floyd, there was a lot of uh, video on YouTube I was watching and uh, for, just for that, and also news footage of the LA protests. And what it seemed like, it seemed very apparent that all the looting and the violence was be, being done by like gang members. Like they weren't, they weren't like the um, legitimate protesters because the legitimate protesters are like having a march like down, I think Wilshire Boulevard, but then on Melrose Boulevard, um, if several blocks North, there was this guy, uh, some guy, some like um, 
amateur journalist. He was a skateboarder dude with like a camera on his helmet. And he had like a 45 minute video of just like skateboarding down Melrose and watching these people break into the stores. And the other frightening thing was the, the or disturbing thing where the police weren't doing anything, anything. to stop it. Yeah, and it made I saw me that. think that like, because you know, like you don't have to be an expert on the police to know that the police have strong ties to all the gangs. Like, I mean, just watching old movies, like, you know, police have a, are notorious for being corrupt. And, you know, like if you're a criminal, the first thing you want to do is make friends with the police. The movie Gangs of New York opened my eyes. Yeah. I mean, I just think that the police, you know, and these really right-wing police unions, they basically just said to their gang connections, you know, if these protests start happening, get your, get your, all your gang members out and they loot, make, you know, loot the stores and we're not going to do anything. And there was footage, like I saw some footage in Santa, of Santa Monica where there are all these looters pouring out of a store and there were like dozens of cops outside standing there and not doing, not lifting a finger. And I'm thinking like that. this, yeah, this is like totally shady looking. And actually, I wrote a letter to my um, my city council person, and you know, really complaining about this. Like you're saying, you know, you know I pay tax. I'm a homeowner. I pay taxes for the police. You know, they're not doing anything to prevent these stores from being looted, and it's just making the protesters look bad. And it's just beyond That's the suspicious. point. That's what they wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you, that, guys, I, you guys remember um, Daryl Gates yeah. during the Rodney King uprising? And he was at a function, and they said, uh, "Police chief, your city's on fire." And he said, "Let it burn." That's exactly. Oh, yeah. I never heard that, but I, that's exactly the yeah. feeling I got. Right. Oh yeah, the Rodney King riots. Like yeah, the police said, "No, we're not going down there." It's like you know, it's like, uh, and he realized that just how corrupt the police are, and and they always talk about, oh, the police used to be really corrupt in L.A. Like back in the. 30s and 40s and but you know they're still corrupt in their own way in you know more sophisticated ways right yeah i think we could just joke about you know like if trump does get another four years i will just uh either like uh try to blend in or join the resistance <laughs> it will be it'll be like the french underground um chris did you see the people's party on youtube yeah, you know, um, yeah. The um, problem with that, you can look, yeah. you could, uh, anybody who hasn't seen it, you can look it up. It's called the People's Party Convention. And the problem with the YouTube video is the uh, last time I checked, you have to go like 14 minutes in before it starts. And they, they should cut that out. I hope they Oh, there's cut a bunch that. of commercials or something? No, it's just a sign that's saying starting soon or whatever. But Oh, yeah, um, you know, that's just a technical glitch because actually my wife was, um, she was actually a speaker at that. Like she's actually, she was one of the first speakers and she did, she did a really good job. I'm proud of her. Uh, and, but, you know, I have kind of mixed feelings about that because uh, for one, I mean, she told me that the people's party isn't like the final name for the party. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. I was telling her that's not a good choice for the name of the party. Cause right. it just sounds too much like, you know, people's Republic of China. Yeah. And cause I mean, one, one of my big, uh, like complaints is that you know i i was and still am a big bernie sanders supporter but i just wish that he had just sold his campaign as being a fdr democrat right you, you, know, you could say you know i want to be an fdr democrat fdr defeated fascism and you know he gave us social security and the wpa and he he saved this country but and this because in any other country democratic socialist is like, you know, nothing radical at all, you know? It's like, but in the U.S., because of all the propaganda and the McCarthy period, like anything with socialism, you know, it's like people are going to say, oh, it's like, you know, it's, it's the same as like uh, Stalin or something. And, uh, and then you have all like the, the real right-wing uh, immigrants from uh, communist countries, like, you know, in, like the, one, the Cuban uh, refugees and immigrants in Florida and because uh, I mean if you look at Bernie Sanders platform it's not radical at all it's it's just like trying to make the US like any other industrialized country around the world whether it's France England or Canada or Japan or Taiwan 
And uh, it's not like some rabid, you know, kind of communist country. But uh, I mean, it, when the right wing calls Biden a socialist, I mean, I mean, that's that's always been their tactic. Like they just exaggerate about everybody. And then they get the, uh, you know, their base is are so like mis misinformed. So uh, they mix that in with communism. Yeah. And it becomes all just like one big boogeyman. And they don't even understand it. But even though, our, you know, every decent program in our country, every program that helps people is a socialist-based program, you know? I mean, I'm yeah. all for capitalism, but you got to have a balance. Yeah, and the thing is that the right wing, they, they hate FDR anyway. But I think uh, FDR, I mean, is very popular with anybody who's like working class and and I mean, he really was one of the greatest presidents in our history. So I think, uh, but I think that People's Party, it's, it's, it's inevitable because, you know, hopefully they'll change their name, but the Democratic Party now, sadly, is, you know, so beholden to the donor class and they're so timid and, you know, they, they, there's at least a dozen um, different uh, um, ways they could have impeached Trump, like, you know, different, uh, I can't remember right. the word, but... Um, but they only try, you know, they only impeach them on one charge. And it's like, you know, they really, they didn't, they didn't rise to the occasion. I mean, when you have a fascist taking over the country, you can't just be mamby pamby about like, you know, going after him with one charge. And uh, right. when there's so many other legitimate charges. So uh, this podcast will be airing just a few days before the election. So is there anything you guys would like to say before we sign off to wrap it up here? One thing you could say, I mean, there's a lot of talk about how the right wing is going to have uh, intimidating people showing up like, you know, so-called poll watchers with, you know, with guns and Trump signs. So I think um, I think it's going to be important that we, whatever happens on Election Day, we need to document it. And, uh, you know, if you have an iPhone or you know smartphone and you feel up to it. I think people need to go out there and videotape, you know, if there's like illegal things going on, you know, we need to document it and then uh, share it on social media. And we have to have evidence, you know, if there's gonna be a crime being committed, it, it has to be uh, documented and, and uh, anybody committing a crime, hopefully we can bring them to justice. We can't just like sit back, stay at home and let this impending disaster happen. So uh, that that would well, be my suggestion. That's good advice for adventurous souls. Yeah. 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 If you have a telephoto lens, that could help too. Right. Like find some safe place to hide out. Then just you know wow. go just check out the polling places and uh, and try try to like share with the fellow citizens what's going on. And okay. hopefully someone could take all that footage and turn it into a good documentary. Right. Right. It's a good time to bring out that decoy your decoy MAGA hat, you know, and go yeah, in, yeah. go in deep, you know. Yeah. That'll protect you from a lot of bullshit, you know, and getting oh. shoved around and possibly shot. Oh, yeah. Just listen to a, like a few hours of Fox so you can start talking like they're always angry, you know, like, God damn, Obama's the worst president this country's ever had, man. I can't, like, I, can't just, I can't just put on a MAGA hat and fit in, you know, I'll, I'll yeah. never fit in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a misfit. Yeah. So those guys don't just be up. <laughs> I can do it. I can go behind enemy okay, lines. Guys, well, I appreciate yeah. it again yeah. for squeezing in. Well, okay, guys, we're about out of time, and I want to thank you, Chris, for squeezing in one more chat before the election. Listeners have said that the episode with your previous interview has been one of their favorites, so having you on was really a gift, so I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. That was fun, and I'll uh, look forward to listening to the new episode. It's always good chatting with you guys. Zen, take care. And again, Chris, thanks for coming on, and we'll talk to you soon. Keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. Okay. Good luck, everybody. Take care. Same to you. Okay. See you on the other side. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye -bye. Okay, that's it for this episode, everybody. Please, please, please don't forget to vote on or before November 3rd this Tuesday. And if you're out and about on Election Day, help us keep an eye on the polls by recording any suspicious or clearly criminal activity clear cases of voter suppression, voter intimidation, etc. And as our friend Chris Hopkins just suggested, post your findings to social media to help keep everyone informed and so we can seek justice if problems do arise. 
Whether you're out on Halloween or at the polls, remember that the monsters and ghouls out there this year are real. So please, everyone, stay safe. Don't forget, premiering Halloween night, Zen Mansley's hilarious multi-character virtual hosting of TNC Late Night Halloween via the Theater of the New City website, theaterforthenewcity.net, featuring video performances by Zen, Phoebe Legere, The Love Show with Emma Craig, and F. Murray Abraham. If you want to see some of Zen's costuming, characters, and special effects makeup, be sure to search for Late Night Halloween on the TNC website. See episode details for a link. Stay tuned here after the show for the Grey Matter Jukebox featuring the song Medina Meltdown from the album Paint by Numbers Volume 1 by indie artist Bob Familiar. Available at bobfamiliar.bandcamp.com. Direct links are available in the episode description. Whatever you do, don't stray too far because we may be crazy, but we may just be the lunatics you're looking for. Thanks for listening. Good night, everybody.